podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL roundtable feed. So just search EPL roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now on with the show. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Wednesday, the 24th of May. Hope you're all well. Today is what I would describe as muggy. If you were to meet an old Irish man on the road, he'd tell you the weather was fierce close. And only he will know what that means. Breaking news yesterday, after we finished recording, was that Bakayo Saka had signed a new contract with Arsenal to keep him at the club until 2027. The deal is set to be worth around £15 a year. Now, that works out at a £60 investment from Arsenal over four years, plus signing bonus, plus whatever else is involved. It's £300 a week. Now, Arsenal fans are trying to convince themselves that, you know, that's fine, it's a bargain, because it includes, it's a base wage of about 200 and then add-ons. But most of those add-ons are going to be really easy for him to hit because they'll largely be appearance-based. It's a really dangerous precedent to set with a 21-year-old to pay him this much money. Because in two years, when they want to negotiate again, he's going to want a raise, and rightly so. And then two years after that, he'd want another raise. And you could get into a situation whereby at 25 years of age, Mikhail Saka is getting a contract worth 
half a million a week. Now, Bikayo Saka is a great player. He's one of my absolute favorite players anywhere in Europe to watch. I think he's sensational. But Arsenal fans have it in their heads that the only options to them were to let him leave for free or give him this contract. There was the option of selling him either. And you could have gotten a huge fee. Now, I understand why they didn't want to do that. They wanted to keep him. You want to keep your best players, especially a homegrown player, especially somebody of the makeup of Bakayo Saka. The personality is strong. The attitude is great. He's properly mentally tough. And he is generally a consistent player, though he has had a rough end to this season. But I found this interesting. Saka said that Arsenal was the the right place to make the next step. He didn't say this is the place to spend his entire career. He says the place to spend, to take the next step. Which tells me that it's not outside the realms of possibility that he was looking at leaving. And that Arsenal have had to overpay him to stay. And it is an overpay. It is absolutely an overpay. He's 21 years of age. He hasn't won anything. And thus has really accomplished very little in the game, as good as he is. And the reason this is a dangerous precedent is that when Martin Odegaard is up for a new contract, this is what he's going to ask for. And then when Gabriel Jesus comes up for a new contract, this is what he's going to ask for. And if they sign Declan Rice in the summer, he's going to want similar type of money. Martinelli got 180 grand-ish. Again, that was an overpay. And William Saliba is up for a new contract at the moment, out of contract next summer. And his asking price just went up based on this contract. And all of a sudden, you're going to find that Arsenal have an unmanageable wage bill, which will demand that they be in the Champions League every single season. And if they're not, they're going to struggle to afford it. Now, if we take a look at players in Saka's position, let's say the best player in the league in Bakayo Saka's position, Mo Salah. Mo Salah joined Liverpool at... 25 years of age on a contract that paid him about 120 grand a week. By that point, he'd already done really well in Switzerland and really well in Italy. Now, you can make the case that what Saka has done is more impressive than what Salah had done. And that's fine. I wouldn't disagree. But uh, Salah, rather, would then go on to put together five incredible seasons for Liverpool during which he would get a second contract, which paid him about 180 grand a week. The same as Martinelli gets now less than Saka gets on this new deal. After Salah had broken the premier league scoring record and won a European cup. So he'd won a European cup and he got less than Saka, the same as Martinelli. He then went on to win a league title, win two domestic cups. And this past summer, at the age of 30, he got his big deal. And that will probably be the biggest deal Salah gets from Liverpool. If he gets any kind of extension beyond this, it will probably be at similar money. This is basically the starting point for Saka. And we'll now set a precedent at the club for what they're willing to pay. Now, it would be fine if you could be certain that Arsenal are going to be in the Champions League every single season, but they're not certain to be in the Champions League every single season. And I had an Arsenal fan tell me on Twitter today that Saka has carried Arsenal the last two seasons. Now, I think last season, you could basically 
agree with that, that he did carry them. But what did he carry them to? They finished fifth. He scored 12 goals in all competitions. I think he had nine assists. I'll check that now. This season, he's had a better year. Uh, He got 14 goals this season and was in double figures and assists again. Eleven assists in all competitions. So 14 goals, 11 assists this season. That's a very good season. It's not a great season. His performances were great for three quarters of the year, but he didn't carry Arsenal because Martin Odegaard outperformed him across the course of the season. What did he get in assists last year? Sorry, seven. So 12 goals, seven assists last year, 14 and 11 this year. My point about Mo Salah is that if you look at what Salah has done since arriving at Liverpool and what he did to earn his contract, which, again, his second contract was less than Saka, it's just night and day what Salah was capable of. 44 goals and 16 assists in his first season. 44 and 16. The second season, 27 and 12, wins the European Cup. Then he gets his new deal. This deal pays him less than Saka now earns. In the title winning season, 23 and 13. In the following season, which was the the COVID year, 31 and 6. Last season, he gets 31 goals again with 16 assists. And this season, he's put together yet another masterpiece with 30 and 15. So Salah has put up insane numbers every season at Liverpool. Saka's numbers are good, but they're not elite level. So the productivity isn't yet there. Now, again, he's only 21. But you're paying him for elite-level production that he's yet to deliver. You're speculating on what he might be able to deliver. But Bikayo Saka doesn't strike me as somebody that's going to regularly hit 25 and 15 across all competitions. Now, again, to go back to Mark Nodegaard, he's the club captain. He's unquestionably, unquestionably been Arsenal's player of the year this season. He got 15 goals and eight assists. He is going to want the same type of money as Saka, if not more. He's got two years left on his contract, which means Arsenal now have to start talking to him about a new deal and you've just set you've just set the marker he is going to want that type of money and again it wouldn't be a big issue if they were going to be guaranteed champions league every year but they're not because the league is going to change drastically over the next couple of years liverpool are not going to be as bad as they were this season again next year They might not be as good as they were last year, but they'll be better. Chelsea will be better next season. Newcastle will be better next season. Manchester United will be better next season. Manchester City are not going anywhere. And it would be, I think, a fairly safe bet to say Spurs will be better next season. Now, not all of those clubs will be Champions League contenders, but they will be harder to beat. And when you look at the bottom half of the table, we were in a situation with 10 games to go where nine teams legitimately could have gone down. Nine teams. And Arsenal, their good patch of the season 
was up until the last nine, 10 games of the season. So they were feasting on those bad teams. If there's less bad teams next season, that's less points for Arsenal. I just don't think this is the right way to do things. And I've said before on this show, one of the big gripes I have with Edu as a sporting director is he just seems to pay the asking price. He doesn't seem to have any real ability to negotiate something down. Every player they've signed under his watch, they paid what the selling club was asking. Without, without a single incident of him bringing a price down. And now it seems he's doing the same with contracts. Martinelli gets 180 grand a week. Martinelli is a very good player. He's not a 180 grand a week player. What would you be basing that on? This season he gets 15 goals and six assists. That's a good season. It's not elite production. Last season, six goals and seven assists. So you've got one season of good production and you've given him 180 grand a week. Let's look at an appropriate player for Liverpool, Sadio Mane. Sadio arrived from Southampton on about 100 grand a week in the 16-17 season, was Sadio's first year with Liverpool. Now, he'd already proven himself in the Premier League with Southampton. His first season, 13-8. and So that's one goal contribution more than what we got from Martinelli this year. In his second season, 20-9. and In his third, 26 and five. Then he got his big contract. The same contract Martinelli has just gotten from Arsenal, 180 grand a week. And he would continue to go from strength to strength, 22 and 12 in the title winning season when he was robbed of footballer of the year. 16 and nine, the season after where he had long COVID. He still put up better than anything Martinelli has shown. And then his last season, 23 and five. But Liverpool were paying him 180 grand a week at this point, six years into his Liverpool career. And then they sold him because they didn't want to pay him any more than that. You set a dangerous precedent when you start to pay young players too much too soon. Look at Trent Alexander-Arnold, just as as an example. Trent got a new contract in 2021, I want to say, that took him to 180 grand a week. That's what he got then, in and around 180 grand a week in 2021. At that point, he'd won a league title and a European Cup. He was 23. So two years older than Saka is now. And he'd accomplished far more in the game. And he got the same contracts, but with less in terms of add-ons, significantly less in terms of add-ons, as Saka just got, having really accomplished very little, having won nothing. On Trent's next contract, Liverpool will probably push him to 250 but there'll be less add-ons in that deal. It'll be more guaranteed money. So it it might work out around the same as what Saka's on. But again, he's accomplished far more in the game and he's four years older, three years older. So that's a manageable wage. Trent will have probably one more big deal to come after that one. That'll be about 300 or so, 
at 27, 28 years of age. But Saka, well, he'll be looking for significantly more money. If he's got a contract right now that could pay him 300 grand, his next one he wanted to pay him 400 grand, 500 grand, 600 grand. By 27, he could be on 450 base wage and 115 add-ons, which is more than Trent will get at any point from Liverpool. Now, you can say that, well, Saka is an attacking player, so therefore he's got more value. But, I mean, does he really? When you consider what Trent does for Liverpool, when you consider that in Trent's second, well, first full season as the nailed-on starter, he put together a 16-assist season. The following year in the title win, it was 15 assists. The following year, which he was hampered by COVID and a calf injury, nine assists. Then last season, he put together an absolute masterclass with 19 assists. And this season, in what's been a poor season by his career, by his standards, he has nine assists. So Trent, in terms of his contribution in the attack, what he doesn't offer the goals the Saka does, he offers more creativity. And he offers more in terms of the running of a game. And the assists don't tell the story with Trent because how many times have we seen Trent split the defence with a pass to Mane who cuts it back for Firmino to tap in? Or cross-field ball to Robertson who crosses for Firmino or Salah to, to score? Or that lovely ball he plays round the outside for Salah who cuts it across for Firmino or Mane to score? Trent creates far more goals than he gets assists for. He probably creates as many goals a season as Saka. By the way, he does it without the need for penalties. So I just think Arsenal have put themselves in a situation where it's going to become very tough for them to keep this team together if they just bow to any and all contract demands. The Saliba one is going to be fascinating because he's got a year left on his deal. And bear in mind, his early days at Arsenal were not good. They signed him in the summer of 2019. He gets loaned back to St. Etienne, having basically lost half a season sitting on the bench. Then he was loaned out to Marseille for... No, sorry, then he was loaned... Hang on. No, I've got that wrong. Sorry. He spent the first season on loan at St. Etienne, came back to Arsenal, didn't kick a ball. I think he might have played twice. Got sent off in one of them. Then he got loaned out to Nice for six months. Did really well on loan there. And then he spent all of last season on loan with Marseille. So in his first three seasons, four seasons, four seasons at um, at Arsenal. Sorry, no, three seasons at Arsenal. First three seasons at Arsenal. He's only really played games this season. Now, he's been really good. Don't get me wrong. He's been really good. But on a four-year deal, they might only get two seasons of actual play out of him, and he might walk next season for nothing. He'll be 23 heading into next summer. And if he's a free agent, he is going to have offers from every top club in the world. Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, all the big Italian clubs, all the big English clubs. City will offer. Liverpool will offer. United will offer. Chelsea will offer. He will be able to pick where he goes. And when he was at Marseille, there were multiple social media posts or the liking of other social media posts that suggested he wasn't overly fond of Mikel Arteta, Arsenal, or the way he and other French players, Matteo Guendouzi being the prominent one, had been treated. Now, time heals most wounds. 
So maybe this past year, the relationships have been repaired and maybe he is happy at Arsenal. But now they're under the clock with him because he walks next summer for free. That is catastrophic for them. Absolutely catastrophic for them if he walks on a free. Let's move on. The England squad has been announced for Euro 2024 qualifiers against Malta and North Macedonia. Raheem Sterling has been left out by mutual decision after talks with Gareth Southgate. They assume he just wants a break. Uh, Ebery Chiesa of Crystal Palace has been called up. That's brilliant news and well-deserved. He has been really, really good this season, has had a great run, especially since Hodgson came back. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Tyron Mings and Lewis Dunk have all been recalled. Dunk will be looking to get his second cap. His first one came way back in 2018. I don't know how Lewis Dunk hasn't been in England squads over the last few years, given Harry Maguire has been atrocious. Um, Manchester City's quintet, John Stones, Kyle Walker, Phil Foden, Jack Grealish and Calvin Phillips are included, but will join up with the squad late because of their participation in the Champions League final. Same will happen with Declan Rice. He will turn up late because uh, they're in the Conference League final. Uh, The squad is Sam Johnston. He's been pretty good since getting a run with Palace. Fair enough. Uh, Pickford and Ramsdale. No Nick Pope because he's having surgery. No Dean Henderson because he's just had surgery. Uh, Defenders, Trent, Dunk, Mark Wehi. Good to see him in the squad. Harry Maguire, proof that it doesn't matter how bad you play or whether you play at club level. If you're one of the lads who's kissed Southgate's arse enough, you'll be in the squad. Ming's getting back in is fair enough based on his own actual form. But once again, Esri Kanz has still been better than him and still gets overlooked. Uh, Luke Shaw, John Stones, Trippier and Kyle Walker. Uh, midfield, Bellingham, Eze. Conor Gallagher, for reasons, uh, more proof that it doesn't matter how you play at club level or where, whether you play at club level. Jordan Henderson, garbage for three years in the squad. Calvin Phillips has barely kicked the ball all season in the squad. And Declan Rice. And then the forward players, Phil Foden, Jack Grealish, Harry Kane, James Madison. Good to see him in the squad again. Marcus Rashford, Bikayo Saka, and Callum Wilson, um, and I'm delighted to see Callum Wilson called up because he has had a very good season. Now, I would imagine if Ivan Tony wasn't banned, Ivan Tony probably gets the call up ahead of him. Uh, but Callum Wilson needs uh, three more goals to match his career high in a single season. So his career high in a single season was 21 and 37. But that was back in 13-14 for Coventry in League One. He did manage 20 in 45 in his first season at Bournemouth, but that was in the Championship. Uh, his career best in the Premier League prior to this season was 14 in 18-19, and he has obliterated that this season with 18 in 30, which goals per game, great return. The issue with him has always been a struggle to stay fit. You look at his Premier League campaigns, 13 games, 20 games, 28, 30, 35. The only time he's gotten over 30 was that last season with Bournemouth. Since joining um, Newcastle, 26 games, 18 games and 30 this season. I would imagine he becomes more of a bench option, rotation option next season as, as they start to build the team around Isak. And on that topic, let's look at Newcastle. And what might they do this summer? Because obviously they've gotten Champions League now. And while this team has done very, very well to get Champions League, there's a number of these players that are not Champions League calibre. Fine as squad players, but they will need some upgrades. I think Nick Pope is fine in goal for now. I, I think when they are at the point where they might win a title, win a European Cup, I think they'll have a different goalkeeper. But for now, Nick Pope is fine. 
Trippier, the same at right back. Again, I think you're looking to replace him maybe next summer, but this summer it's fine. Fabian Shares had a good season, but he is one that you probably will look to upgrade on this summer. I think he can be a really strong backup centre-back, but moving forward, I think they'll want a higher ceiling player next to Sven Botman. And Botman will be one of the building blocks of Newcastle's first title-winning team. I have no doubts about that. Upgrade will be needed at left back. Again, Dan Byrne has done well this year. He's given them solid service since joining 18 months ago. He'll be a fine squad player to keep around the place. He's got a good attitude. He's a hard worker, but he is lacking at the highest level. So you're going to want to upgrade on him. So that's two in defense. Now, again, they probably won't do everything in one window because it would be silly. But I think those two defensive signings are needed in this window. I think they need one starter in midfield this summer. Gamerish is great. I think you get one nailed-on starter to go with him, and then you rotate Willock and Jolington in the third role. Longstaff becomes a squad player, which is more suited, I think, to his abilities. And you have young Elliot Anderson, who's a very talented young player, who I think can play a good squad role moving forward. In attack, Isak needs to be the player they build the the forward line around. I think they should look to bring in one starting wide player and then rotate Almiron, who had a great run this season, St. Maximum, who's capable of brilliance, and the possibility of starting Callum Wilson in some games and playing Isak wide. So get one starter, have Isak, and then the other role is Almiron, St. Maximum, or Wilson with Isak moving wide, depending on who you're playing, what the situation is. So I would say Newcastle need to look for four starters this summer. Now, their depth isn't great. I'd be happy enough to keep Dubravka as a backup. I think he's I think he's solid. Uh, you do have Carl Darlow out on loan. Maybe you keep him as a backup. You've got Mark Gillespie. Don't think he's of the level, but Dubravka and Darlow, if you're in the European Cup, I think that's fairly strong. Um, I had forgotten they owned Cousin Jeff. I forgot he was still their player. Surely Cousin Jeff is at a contract soon. Let's see. Signed in 2020. Four-year deal. He's got another year left. Um, yeah, that's that hasn't worked out for anybody. Um, Paul Dummett is not of the required level. I think they keep him around because he's been there a long time. He's a good lad to have in the dressing room and he's homegrown, but he's not one you can rely on. Cher would become a backup in this scenario. Absolutely good enough. Maybe maybe Harrison Ashby takes a step up as the backup right back next season. Or maybe Emil Kraft comes back and he's fine. You've got Mankio. You probably want to move on one of Kraft or Mankio this summer. Um, but Harrison Ashby is a player with a, bit, a lot of promise that they signed from West Ham. So if he's the backup right back next season, I think that's fine. Dan Byrne is the backup left back next season is fine. I'd look to move on Lachelle's and I'd look to buy another centre-back, a backup centre-back. So you'll have Trippier, new signing, Botman, new signing, and then, say, Ashby, Cher, new signing. Someone that can be a good reliable backup to Botman, preferably a lefty. If if Everton were feeling silly and Jared Branthwaite was available, he would fit really well into that role. And then you've got Dan Byrne as the backup left back. Um in midfield they've got plenty of bodies. Whichever one of Poe of, of Willock or Jolington isn't starting is is a, 
a good backup to have. Um, you've got Longstaff and you've got Elliot Anderson. You might want to look to bring in maybe a young midfielder to just pad that out a little bit. Um, you've got Isaac Hayden that you own, but I don't think he's of the level. I don't know anything about Joe White. I don't know if he's a player that they view as someone that could potentially become a first-team player. I have no idea. Um, in attack, then, you've got Murphy. He can also play in midfield if needed. Um You've got Murphy, you've got Wilson, and then you've got whichever one of St. Maximum or Almiron isn't starting. So I don't think it's a huge amount. I think six signings, six signings would probably see them in good nick for next season. Four starters, a backup centre-back, and like a young midfielder. Doesn't need to be someone that costs a fortune, just someone that you can develop. Maybe a young ball winner that you can develop that could potentially play a vital role in seeing out games maybe a year from now. I think you let Jeff Hendrick go. I think you just, even if you have to cancel the contract, just let him go. Um, You could, here's the thing, you could potentially use Dan Byrne as the backup to Botman and use Jamal Lewis as your backup left back because Jamal Lewis is a good player. And he's never been given an opportunity by this manager. He's never made any noise. He's never caused any problems. He's got his head down and kept working. And I think he's a decent player. You've also got Matt Target as well. So actually, you don't. You could just use Byrne as the backup to Botman. And one of Lewis or Target is the backup left back. Let's say Target because they bought him under Eddie Howe. So I'd look to move on Dummett. Wilson. Let's say Mankeo, Frazier, Ritchie, Jeff Hendrick, uh, Kieran Clark, Isaac Hayden, and I think Chris Wood is a loan with an, ob- an option to buy. Maybe it's an obligation. I'm not really sure what way that deal worked. An obligation to buy should should certain conditions be met. If that was based on appearances, in all likelihood he didn't hit the number because he played seven times before he got injured. If it was based on them staying up, there might be money coming in for him. I've realized as well, I I didn't mention two players. One is Karen Cole, the young Aussie, very, very highly regarded. So he's an option in attack. And Anthony Gordon. Now, I, I'm not a big Anthony Gordon fan, but as a backup wide player for next season, I think he could be a strong option. So my point is, you'd actually get out of it with five signings. And you'd actually get out of it with four, but I would recommend making five. I would recommend signing that young midfielder, but you definitely need two starting defenders, a starting midfielder, and a starting wide player. I don't think there's any real discussion to be had around those areas. Now, as for who, the who is the most important thing because you can sign as many players you, as you want. If they're the wrong signings, it's not going to help you. So who would you sign? Well, to play next to Botman, I think you're looking for someone with decent pace, to play Eddie Howe football, you're looking for someone who's comfortable on the ball. You're looking for someone that's dominant in the air. And I think if I'm Newcastle and I'm in the Champions League, I want to make a few statements. I want to show that we're here for real and we're going to build something that's real. So the centre-back I have in mind for them is Giorgio Scalvini of Atalanta, who for me is one of the best young centre-backs in world football. I think he's got huge, huge upside and already is excellent. He's 19. He's got well over 50 games at first team level under his belt for Atalanta. He's quick. He's good on the ball. He's strong in the tackle. It's a very good 1v1 marker. 
I think Scalvini could be had this summer for probably around 40 million, which should be within Newcastle's budget. I know they've got FFP concerns, but I still think that's a deal they can make happen. Now, at left back, I'd be inclined to go for someone who potentially could also fill in somewhere else. And again, I'd be looking to go for a younger player because I think that the process here needs to be building this team out for the long term. And I'd look at Piero Hincapié, who Newcastle have been linked with before. Bayer Leverkusen, Ecuadorian international, 21, really good defender, been playing as a wing-back in games for Bayer Leverkusen, despite naturally being more of a centre-back. I think he'd fit really well as that left-back next to Botman. And I think if you were lining up with Trippier, Scalvini, Botman and Hincapié as your back four, you'd be in great shape, not just for next season, but for the long haul, with the knowledge that you've got to eventually replace Kieran Trippier. I think... I think that would be a really clever move. And if you get him for about 35 million, well, now you've got two long-term pieces, players that will be good enough to be part of that team when you win a title. Because Newcastle will win a title. Newcastle will win a title in the next five years because there's enough money there that they'll be able to buy the way to it. With Dan Ashworth overseeing the whole project, they won't make stupid moves. That's one thing I don't think they'll do. I don't think they'll do anything stupid. There'll be no Rubinho, you know? In midfield, I mean, there's a couple of options. You could look at someone like Romeo Lavia from Southampton who wouldn't necessarily need to play every single game because he's a young player. If you wanted to be really ambitious, maybe you go and you try and buy Moises Caicedo. Manuel Ugart would fit well as a ball winner next to Gimerish. Florentino Louise would likewise fit really well as a ball winner next to Bruno Gimerish. And I think a ball winner is what you're looking for here. Someone that can give you that strength in midfield give you a little bit of gnarl in midfield now you could go a different way you could look for someone who's more possession based who's going to give you more of more of what you already have but it you know higher quality so maybe you look back to Italy a player who's been linked in recent weeks to Brighton and I think a fair scouting model would just be, let's just copy what Brighton are doing and then try and outbid them. And Davide Fratese would fit really well on the right of a midfield three as a powerful runner, 23 years of age, so fits the age kind of profile that you're looking at. He's done really well since Sassuolo kind of promoted him into the first team at the beginning of last season. Before that, he had two good loan spells, one at Empoli, one at Monza. He was also on loan prior to that at Ascoli. So he's got five full seasons under his belt. He's played a lot of football. He's not a kid, despite you know only being 23. So he'd be one to maybe look at. I think he's one that would make a good signing. But Manuel Ugarte is probably the one I'd push for if you want a ball winner. And I, I would say that's what I would what I would suggest that they do need more than anything else in that midfield. Take a lot of that defensive responsibility away from Gamerish and running the game. Just get someone that wins the ball and gives it to him. Florentino Louise, man, look at let's say Florentino Louise because they might just be more willing to negotiate Benfica on the fee, whereas Sporting are quite adamant they want the buyout all in one lump. And that makes it awkward when you're up against the FFP 
um, barriers because you, you want to try and spread the, the amortization out over the five-year contract or whatever. Florentino Louise also excelled next to Bruno Gimert. Sorry, excelled next to Enzo Fernandez. Bruno and Enzo have a lot of similarities in their game in terms of how they run a game. So Florentino Louise could make a lot of sense. If you get him for around 50 million, wouldn't that make a ton of sense for Newcastle? And then you're looking for a wide player. And I think you're looking for a goal-scoring wide player. I think the best thing Newcastle could do is look for a goal-scoring wide player because I don't think you want to put the entire burden on Isak. So I think he's also more of a creative player than just a pure, you know, goal-scoring nine. Now, this one might be a bit of a a bit of a reach, given he's only really started to perform well at Dortmund in the last few months. Prior to that, he was having a fairly iffy season. But Adiemi, I, I think, could explode next to Isak. I really do. Kareem Adiemi next to Isak would be would be very interesting. Now, if you want more of a creative player, there are some rumours that Spurs are not going to take up their option to buy Kulisevsky. And Kulisevsky with Isak would be a lot of fun. They've got that existing understanding from the Swedish national team. So maybe you could look at him either. And I don't think he'd cost a fortune. Adiemi probably would be fairly expensive. You're probably looking somewhere at around 55 to 60 million. I don't, I could be wrong. I don't think Kulisevsky would cost that kind of fee. The other option is, if Barca are serious about selling Ansu Fati, go and get Ansu Fati and back the talent that that kid has. That's a really special young player. A really, really special young player who I think could explode in the Premier League. Now, you'd want to be very careful and check out that knee that basically cost him two seasons. But I think Fati could be Really special. Now, you're looking total total of about 175, let's say another 10 million to find that young midfielder, right? But if you split that across five years, it's only 35, 38 million per year, which shouldn't hurt you too much in terms of FFP. So I think it's doable. And I think you'd be getting players that can be part of a team that wins a Premier League title. Let's say they go Kulisevsky. Well, you're looking long-term at Scalvini, Botman, Hincapié, Florentino, Gomerish, Isak, and Kulisevsky. So then next summer, you go and you buy a goal scorer who plays on the left. You go and you buy a box-to-box or more attack-minded midfielder. And you buy a right-back. And then maybe the season after that, you buy a goalkeeper. And Newcastle, at the beginning of the 26-27 team, 26-27 season, could have this exceptional team all kind of 23 to 27 years of age ready for potentially a three or four year run where they can continue to add you know more depth more quality one starter a season to upgrade whatever and they could be a real real force I will say I don't think Eddie Howe will be the manager when that time comes. But for now, and given how he wants to play, Scalvini, Hincapié, Florentino Louise, and if Spurs are stupid, Dejan Kulisevsky, 
I think those four would transform Newcastle into a into more than just a team that sneaks into the top four, into a team that potentially starts winning silverware. Even if it's the Europa League or a domestic cup, you win silverware at Newcastle, they'll build you a statue. And they will idolise you forever. So any players that might have doubts about going there, don't have those doubts. You go there and do well, they will idolise you. You'll be held up like you're some sort of godlike figure. Going to take a break. When we come back, we've got the news, we've got the gossip, and we'll be out. Talk to you soon. Right. Welcome back. So during the break, Guy asked me, were there any players from Chelsea that Newcastle could look at for this summer? And there's probably a few. The issue is that some of the players Newcastle want to get rid of are not players you want to take in if you're Newcastle and want to push for real honours. The defenders you'd want from there would be the likes of Fafana or Malo Gusto. They're not going to sell them. I don't think you want Kukurea because I think he'd be overpriced, but it could be an option. I don't think they want Conor Gallagher. But it wouldn't surprise me if Eddie Howe looked at him and thought, he's the type of midfielder I want because he's energetic and he'll go box to box. But a player who is being talked about as, you know, potential departure is Mason Mount. Now, Mason Mount will have offers from Liverpool and Arsenal and reports today that he'll have an offer from Manchester United. But Mount at Newcastle could be interesting. Playing off the left of that front three, Similar role to how he played under Tuchel. And might give him a lot of freedom with Isak shifting about from the central area. would give Mount freedom to burst into that central area where he can excel. So you, you could go and look at Mason Mount. I don't think Raheem Sterling would be, would be open to that move. But as a goal-scoring wide player, he would make a lot of sense. I mean, Kai Havertz, I, I really do think Kai Havertz is potentially an outstanding player. But in a 4-3-3, he's a weird fit. But if they were willing to move to a 4-2-3-1, then Havertz behind Isak could be outstanding. With Gamerish and, say, Florentino as the as the, the double pivot. And then either Willock or Jolington playing sort of a third midfielder slash wide player role, and then Almiron and St. Mac- or St. Maximum on the other wing. So Havertz could be an option. Now, look, Havertz could play right side of a front three. I just don't think it's the best use of him. But I do very much, I do still very much like Kai Havertz. And I do still think that Kai Havertz is the type of player that under the right manager at the right club could be incredible. He's only going to be 24 this summer. I would still take him at Liverpool in a heartbeat. It wouldn't even need a second thought. I think he's that good. Right. um, Let's move on then. So... Andrea Pirlo has been sacked by a Turkish club whose name I will not butcher. Uh, I believe they're eighth in the league this season. No, they're ninth in the league this season. Uh, They finished eighth last season. It's worth pointing out that this is a club who, in their entire history, has spent about eight or nine seasons, I think it's nine seasons, in the top flight in in Turkey. They're not a, a big club. They're not a club with great history. They haven't won anything of note. And they've decided that, you know, finishing in mid-table is not good enough. And Andrea Pirlo has been sacked. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, I, I would imagine he will find his way back to Italy and probably get a job in Syria next season, 
Uh, maybe even Serie B, maybe he'd be willing to step down and learn his craft at the lower league. But from what I'd heard, and I hadn't watched a single game, what I'd heard was that a lot of his ideas were starting to make more sense this season and that he was impressing people with the work he was doing there. Now, obviously, the Juve job was just far too early for him. And everybody knew it was far too early. He was hired to be the academy coach, the 23s coach. And then nine days later, he was given the first team job. And it was too much too soon. It didn't go great. But it wasn't a squad ready to compete. And uh, he was out the door after a season. Now, after a season in Turkey, he's once again out the door. But by all accounts, the football played was was quite good. Uh, Valencia have been fined and sanctioned with a partial stadium closure for the next five home games uh, following the racial abuse of Vinicius Jr. Uh, Three players were arrested for the abuse that was directed at the player during that game. Another seven have since been uh, arrested for stuff that's happened away from the game, which is horrifying. Um, His red card has also been overturned as well, which is is quite good. Uh, There was a few things that took place in that game that were just mental. But there's been a really good show of solidarity from a number of players and ex-players. Ian Wright, if you haven't heard what Ian Wright had to say, make sure you find it. It is absolutely on the money. Uh, Didier Drogba has come out strongly uh, against racism in the game and in support of Vinicius. Rafinha wore a shirt under his jersey, showing solidarity with the player, and there's been a bunch of others. Um, And hopefully we see more and more of the players fighting back and not allowing this to continue to creep into the game. Last night before Valladolid played Barcelona, the players held up an anti-racism banner, which was a strong move as well. Uh, Ruud van Nistelrooy has left PSV Eindhoven with immediate effect. He said that uh, he was feeling a lack of support within the club and he has walked before the last game of the season. It's a shame. I did think there was certain things he showed this season that were very promising for the future of PSV and for his future as a coach. Uh, Obviously, they're second in the league, 10 points behind Feyenoord, who have run away with the title, but your second place finish in your first season is not bad, especially you know when you consider that's generally where uh, PSV have been finishing for the last few years. I wonder where he'll pop up next. Wouldn't surprise me if he came to England and took a championship job. Uh, Southampton look like they're on the brink of appointing Russell Martin as their new head coach. Uh, Martin's obviously been at Swansea the last couple of years prior to that. He was at MK Dons. And it looks like he was the number one target for Southampton. And it looks like that's where they've gone. I've said before, there's an, a huge amount of talent at that club. And if they could clear out some of the older senior players who've continued to let them down and play these younger players and build a young team with one or two additions, I think they could have... A great, a great team. Not a, not a like a team that comes up and wins titles or anything. But you know, relatively speaking, for Southampton, a great team, a team that maybe can push for a Europa League spot. You've got Basunu, you've got Livermento, you've got Bella Kotchup, you've got Larios at left back. You need one centre back. You've got Lavia, you've got Diallo, you've got Alcaraz. That's your midfield. You've got Mara, you've got Sulemana, you need a nine. You need a nine and a centre-back. And then you've got a bunch of other young players there who'll make good squad players. You can pad out the squad with with experience because you do need experienced players around. You just don't need a James Ward-Prowse. You don't need a Theo Walcott. You need to get rid of those players, players that have losers' mentalities and get in players that know what it is to win. So you go and you find a Johnny Evans maybe. 
who might leave Leicester. Maybe you go and offer Johnny Evans a two-year deal, a player-coach type of deal. And you have players like him around who've won stuff before, who know what it's like to be around players and clubs that win. You set yourself a culture of winning, not losing. Uh, Pep Guardiola wants the Premier League's financial charges situation dealt with as soon as possible. Well, then tell your club to stop delaying the process. will be very simple, Pep. On to the gossip. Arsenal are prepared to sell as many as eight players this summer with James Madison and Declan Rice among their targets. The Gunners are interested in pursuing a deal for Ilkay Gundogan if he cannot agree a new contract at Man City. I, I just don't see him going there. Why would he go there? He's got an offer from Barcelona. He'll have offers to go back to, to Germany. Why would he go to... I also think it's a bit of a dangerous thing for Arsenal to be trying to pick off City players and you know, trying to just basically be a, a cheap knockoff of City, which they kind of are already, but this would just kind of further into that. Um, Real Madrid have added Andy Robertson to a list of possible replacements for French left-back Ferland Mendy. I, I don't believe it for a second. Uh, Liverpool and Brazil forward Roberto Firmino is willing to move to Barcelona, but the Spanish giants are thought to be prioritising a move for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. If that's true, then that's a very silly club. Bayern Munich have identified Julian Alvarez as a possible summer transfer target. I don't see any possibility that City would let him go. Manchester United are considering signing two centre-forwards, but there is not huge confidence at the club that a deal with Tottenham will be possible for Harry Kane. Okay. Manchester United have targeted Evan Ferguson for the 2024 summer transfer window. Of course they have. Of course they have. Um, Wolves and Portugal midfielder Ruben Neves has turned down a deal from Arsenal as he is waiting on Barcelona to make a bid for him. Ajax's Ghanaian forward Mohamed Kudus, who's been linked with Arsenal, Manchester United and Newcastle, has rejected a contract extension at Ajax and his agent believes is now the right time for him to leave, and it probably is. Everton planned to sell Amadou Onana for £60 million to fund their summer transfer plans. Um, I don't know that they'll get 60 for him, but I do think they'll get offers. Jules Kunde has told Barcelona he wants to leave the club this summer but the Spanish side will only consider offers of 70 million. From I don't believe any of that's true, to be honest. Portugal forward Cristiano Ronaldo already wants to leave Saudi Arabian club Al Nazir and could look for a return to Europe. Um, I mean, he's probably just... He's probably just sad because no one cares about him anymore because he's basically become an irrelevance and, you know, nobody's paying him any attention. And obviously Cristiano's all about the attention. He's all about Cristiano. He doesn't really care about much else. Uh, He has scored 14 goals in 15 games in the Saudi Arabian Pro League. But if we just take a, a little look at those games, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of his 15 games against, you know, plumbers and school teachers, uh, he has failed to score in. Um, so it's not like he has been great for them. He also failed to score in both uh, of the, oh, sorry, all three cup matches. So 10, 10 games there of the 18 he's played, he's failed to score against the plumbers and the school teachers. Suggests that maybe Europe's not for him anymore. Uh, Juventus have reiterated that Dejan, that Dusan Vlahovic is not for sale, um, despite their points deduction, which will likely see them miss out on the Champions League. If, if Spurs are stupid and send back Kulisevsky, then a front three of Kulisevsky, Vlahovic, and Chiesa, that is something that Juve could look to build a really strong team off of. Turkish club Fenerbahce are leading the race to sign Divock Origi. 
AC Milan are willing to sell him just one year after his move from Liverpool. He's been he's been fairly crap there, to be fair. Tottenham are considering an approach for Arnie Slot. That says that's the Guardian. And the mail says he will become the next manager if his agent can negotiate an exit from his IAC from his final contract. I think there's a buyout. I think there's a buyout. Tottenham have given Slot assurances he would be in control of transfers. That's from Peter Rourke, so that's definitely garbage. That would be a really poor move if Spurs did that. Don't give managers control of transfers. Bidders for Manchester United are hopeful over an announcement over a per- hopeful of an announcement over a preferred bidder as early as Friday, says the Independent. Uh, that is Miguel Delaney. I think it's fairly obvious that Jim Ratcliffe is going to be the preferred bidder, but we'll wait and see. Uh, Newcastle will hold a transfer summit this week to finalise club targets, but wage restrictions are likely to hinder their ability to sign numerous elite players. Now, as the, the four I've suggested would not have huge wage demands, in my view. I, I think Scalvini, Hincapié, Florentino Louise, and let's say Kulisevsky. I think a hundred grand a week gets each of them. I don't think you need to pay huge wages for them. I could be wrong, but I don't think you do. Uh, right, that'll do me for today, folks. Thanks as always. I will see you tomorrow. Bye bye. Podcast Network.